Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Rangis. So it's time to slip away to something smoother. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode two of series six of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. And welcome to you wherever you are. And if you're a first time listener, what a discerning and wonderful decision you've made today. And if you like what you hear, do let a friend know and make sure you subscribe lest you are to miss any of our valuable weekly episodes. So we also have a lovely website at watfordjazzjunction.com where you can book tickets to see our gigs here in friendly Watford with the Chrissingham Quartet on the 30th of October, which I think is a fine alternative to Halloween lunacy as they celebrate the Jazz of Dudley Moore with a one-off revival of their acclaimed show. And then we've got the wonderful Tony Kofi Quintet will be painting their portrait of Cannibal Adley in February, which will be a lovely alternative to Valentine's daftness. Enough of that. Now, today I am joined by a contemporary multi-genre singer-songwriter and composer born in Mauritius, but based here in sunny-ish England. To quote one description of her voice, every nuance articulates a dynamic story, grabbing your attention and wanting to hear where she takes you next. Her velvety tones and passionate vocal passings were last seen, by me at least, uh, with Tomasz Bura as part of the scientists at Ronnie Scott's during lockdown. It can only be Rangis. Rangis, hello, how are you? Hi, Chris. I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. I've been wanting to talk to you since I saw you play. This is very, this is very cool. Wow. <laughs> Do you mean Ronnie Scott? Yeah, it was wicked, man. It's such a cool gig. I just like... Why don't I? Why don't I know more about her? <laughs> so here you are, and I'm going to find out. So uh, where are you sitting today? Where, where are you talking to me from? I'm at home in my home studio in North Holt. Very cool. Surrounded by some wicked-looking keyboards as well. Yes, my faithful companions. We'll come to them later. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I mentioned that you uh, grew up in Mauritius, and that, of course, makes you. Well, it doesn't, of course, but it does make you our first Mauritian guest. We don't get a lot of jazzers passing by from those parts. Um, so I'd just like to know a little bit more about what your path was into music and jazz uh, from a young girl. And also, is, is jazz a big thing in Mauritius? Right. Well, um, I started singing at the age of five yeah. for uh, the Baha'i community at various charity events, including the UNICEF. And uh, for these events, I was mentored by my parents and my uncle, who used to accompany me on the acoustic guitar. And I all reg- regularly performed at the State House International Children's Day in Mauritius and uh, various other campaigns that we were doing for the for AIDS, women's and children's mm. rights, um, and all this to raise awareness and funds. So uh, that was mainly what I was doing when I was a child from the age of five to 11. Wow. And then also I was performing for my school and we were taking part in various uh, singing competitions. And when I was 11, I won the National Conservatoire Singing Competition. Wow, that's young. Well, I remember it being quite scary considering everybody was trained for a number of years and I've just come there with six months of preparation under my belt. I remember this experience being quite nerve-wracking. When I think about my childhood, I remember traveling a lot, preparing, rehearsing, learning how to dance, learning how to 
manage your nerves um, in front of thousands of people. It was a lot of fun, really, really a lot of fun. I enjoyed that thoroughly. And what, what type of music were you, were you singing? Mauritian stuff or, or music from the world or, or, or what? Um, I was singing uh, French songs mm. and Creole songs, very rarely English songs, uh, but we must have learned a song by the Beatles. I think it was The Long and Winding Road. Mm. But it was a Creole song uh, that was written for me by one of my father's friends who was a guitarist as well. And I performed this all over the island for several years. The song addressed the injustices and social issues regarding the welfare of children, stating in the song that children are the light of the world Mm. and we need to give them education Mm. and support to flourish. And was it always voice for you or did you play instruments as well? Or have you always been a vocalist? Well, I can say that it's always been the vocals, even though I tried the flute in primary school, but gave up on it very, very quickly. And I touched the guitar a little bit and also a little bit of piano, but I've always been asked to sing. So I only had the the time and the energy to put towards singing. And then sort of what happened uh, in sort of later years, in later teen years, was there an obvious route that music was going to take you forward for the rest of your life? Or was it, who knows what's going to happen, but I enjoy it? When I was 15 years old, I partnered uh, in starting a record label and a recording studio. You seem very advanced in life. So you're, you're winning conservatoire things in 11 and setting up a record label when you're 15. That's pretty, that's pretty, you know, progressive. Well, music was where my heart was and both of my friends were as passionate and crazy as I was. We managed to convince our respective families to loan us the money to build the studio and the office uh, where we were going to operate. My parents were not very keen about it at first, but we managed to convince them that we were going to pay it back at some point. They weren't very supportive with my venture of becoming a professional musician or singer because there isn't really a market for music in Mauritius unless you become a teacher or a hotel performer to entertain the tourists or become a touring musician abroad. To put it simply, there isn't much money in it. That is how most musicians Mm -hmm. make a living there. And sadly, there isn't much support from the government. There is no real union uh, or clean, fair system like the PRS or PPL here who collect and distribute royalties properly to its artists. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of corruption also. Music piracy is a big problem. Unfortunately, it's still that way over there. So you can imagine why my parents would be worried about uh, my career choices at the time. And in the three years that uh, we worked together, we released a dozen albums for various artists. And we went on to become one of the most successful recording studios on the island. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I started to study both classical piano and jazz. I immersed myself for about two years on the instrument to learn harmony, sight reading and dive deeper into theory. And whilst this is going on, I'm still 
at college where I decided to join a class of Indian classical dance music, the Bharat Natyam, which is a popular classical dance form from South India, and that revealed new perspectives on the subject of rhythm and how to feel rhythm through the different parts of the body. So then, sort of what, what happens uh, then as you, you cross into your 20s? Are you fully fledged and knowing that, that it is now jazz time or still experimenting and developing your voice? Oh, jazz. How did jazz come into my life? Well, it was through actually listening to yeah. to to music. You know, in my early teenage years, I was exposed to the music of Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. Dina Washington. But the most important album for me was a 1990 ECM release called I Took Up the Runes ah. by Jan Garbrek, which I discovered at the age of 10. It was the most eclectic, and haunting album. I've never heard anything like it. It broadened my scope, you know, in in harmony, orchestration, Mm. and contemporary musical form. It blew my mind, the use of space. It was just Mm. the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. It unraveled new emotions, and it took me on a journey inside of myself. Whilst listening to the music, I lift my eyes and looked around me and the trees in the garden, they were moving to this music. Nature was one with it. Wow. (laughs) Jan Garbrek, a genius, an absolute genius. But it's only later on in my teenage years that I discovered that this came under the umbrella of jazz. My first experience of jazz as a singer was when I was offered my first contracts and residencies to perform jazz standards. Then I discovered the music of Chick Corea, Pat Metheny, Herbie Hancock, Joe Zavino. And from there, I never looked back. I started to write songs around the same time that were influenced by jazz. And the first tune I wrote was a blues song. I was also attending all the jazz meets and concerts possible on the island and hanging out with the musicians that had the same interests as me. And that's how I met Lindley Mart, amongst many other amazing musicians that I adopted as my mentors. And then later on, when I came to England in my 20s, I produced and released an experimental album with elements of jazz, funk, electronica, soul later on put together a jazz trio with bass player Winston Blissett and David Morris from the London Jazz Society, after which I collaborated with the late Mike Collins of Rude Note Records. So while we're in that space, so when you sing, and this is a little bit of a set question for me, I just, I'm just curious, are you looking to find freedom or are you presenting the idea of freedom that's confined by the music going on around you? Do, do, do you know what I mean? Does the music help release you or are you using the music to express that there's freedom out there to be discovered? When I sing, I am actively looking to connect with God to a higher energy. And what's God to you? Is there a, a, a notion of your God or... Is it a a God that's related to religion? I'm really interested in in, in that dimension. 
God, the energy that connects everything together, the creator, the supreme architect. It's in you, it's in me, it's in everything. It's in all the elements that surrounds us. It's in the breath that I breathe. It's in my voice. <laughs> it's in everything that we can touch and yeah. not touch. The, the seen, the unseen, the tangible and the intangible. It's not related to religion, though I, I am a Baha'i. And mm. a Baha'i means one who loves and serves humanity who loves mm. the whole world and one who attempts to serve humanity by any means possible. So mm. I'd say that for music to work for me, I have to mm. lose myself to it, abandon myself, my ego, that thing that takes me away from that yeah, connection, yeah. you know, with the divine. So I try... When I'm singing, I try not to make the music about me. It's about the music itself and the effect that it has on the soul of the listener. So whether it's in writing music or, or singing it, I'm only the messenger. On one hand, I have to subdue my ego to find freedom, to let go, to just be, to serve the music in the most honest and constrained way. And on the other hand, I hope that the listener is inspired and nourished when they receive this energy. So when, whether it's when they hear the sounds, when they absorb that music and connect with its message. What a beautiful answer. <laughs> that, 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 that was fuller and rounder and more glorious with its, with its divine relationship with uh, yourself as a vehicle, a, a point of transmission, and ultimately with the, the listener in mind. Fantastic. Um, also what I want to ask you then, in, in related to that as well, but building more, I, I suspect, your technical route, I notice your, your use of electronica um, and, you know, synthesised sound, etc., as well as repetitive vocal phrasing. Mm -hmm. And that would help me describe your sound as mesmeric, uh, and that's, again, not, not down to a point of worship, but a, a point of losing yourself somehow mm -hmm. in it. Is that something you agree with? And indeed, is that something you're, you're looking to create? Or is that as a result of the process? Is that what happened to you, Chris? Did you get, did you get lost in the... Well, yeah? I think I did. I did get lost. <laughs> well, I, get, I got lost in our Ronnie's gig. And I, I literally, I was just like, whoa, what's happened there? It, it, was, it was quite spiritual in, a, in an unexpected way. But all, you know, all the time I'm tapping my foot and listening for the vibe. But I suddenly realized there was this more mesmeric thing going on. And that, that, so that's what's happened that's to me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful yeah. to hear. So there you go. Yes, I'd say, yes, it's very important. I, I always want my audience to mm. be entrained and to be transported from this material plane. Um, if I could cause my audience to have an outer body experience, that would be an incredible achievement, really. Oh, if we can do that, we'd, we'd shift a hell of a lot of your albums. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, joking aside, that sort of transcendent, that transmundane goal is absolute, yes. right? So the, the repetitive phrasing, you know, like in a vocal or sound bath and train the brain and can put a person in a state of altered consciousness. 
simply put, in a state of deep relaxation. It can stimulate, mm. energize the mind and the senses or calm it down. So, uh, so to provoke a relaxing experience. But of course, I've, I mean, I didn't write these tunes with the goal to entrain any, anyone particularly. Uh, I've used them primarily because I think they serve the music well. And also these compositions uh, are Thomas's um, doing. He's been writing these yeah, songs yeah. for, I don't know, 16, I think it's been 16 years since he've, uh, he's been yeah, writing yeah. These, these songs. And three years ago when we met, we started to, to work together and I started writing vocals, melody, uh, lyrics to them. Mm. With time, obviously, the, the music has developed and it changed and it morphed. It was very hard fusion at first. Then we started adding this ethereal layer on top of it with the vocals and the effects that we used. So... That probably then naturally leads me on to ask more of a question about you. I know you've been working on an album um, yes. for some time, right? What what can we expect from that? And can you tell us a little bit about the mm. journey? Are you ready for that story? I have a long story. <laughs> we're, we're we're ready. I'll press the uh, I'll press the go button. <laughs> go Rangies, go. So, Evasio, my baby, I've just Evasio. finished this body of work, which has taken me five years to complete. The idea came into life through a jam session at my house with bass player Lynn Lemart. After almost seven years of not seeing each other, since he had left Mauritius to be part of the Joe Zavinol syndicate. Aside from being one of the greatest bass players in the world, Linley has a reputation of being quite blunt and brutally honest, especially to those he cares about. So after seven years, that evening, he was very keen to hear my compositions. We, we left the gig and we came home. And I told him that I, I don't have anything at the moment. I haven't, I haven't written anything, you know, substantial that I could play you. I had a few tunes that I've, I'd written, I'd drafted, but I, I couldn't find it in me to, to play to him. I, I was just too scared. <laughs> too scared. So... I honestly expressed that, you know, to him as a, from a musician to another, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little confused at the moment with the choice of languages, you know, I, because I speak French, English and Mauritian Creole, so I couldn't make up my mind about which language to sing in and what mm. stories to tell through them. I tried to write in all three languages, but it wasn't clear to me. The stories went flowing and the music was was just it was just not there because I needed the stories first. So I was still in the process of trying to figure all this out. Lynn Lemart triggered something in me that night that gave birth to this album five years later. Yeah, yeah. I remember that I spoke to him when I was fifteen at a jazz club, you know, and I I met him for the first time and. I said, oh, we ought to be writing something together. I would love to write something for you, I said. You know, I was 15 years old. And, and he said to me, well, if you, if you come to, to Europe, because he was leaving, he was leaving to, to come to, to, to France to, and then go on his tours with Joe Zavino. Uh, he said, well, if, if you come to, to France or England or Europe, you know, hit me up, let me know, and I'll 
check where you where you are at with with your music. That night, he was like, "Well, I'm 28 years old at the time," and he looked at me and said, "Well, how come? How come you haven't written anything yet?" And I said, "Well, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write, and I don't know in what language to write. I'm really struggling with that one." And he looked at me and said, "Okay." Let's jam. Let's turn the keyboard on, and the mic on, and let's let's express ourselves. You know, and I'll play. You'll sing. Just just to hear wh- where you are. Just to hear what you've got. You know, and this was really like an mm-hmm. ultimatum because he was dead serious when he said this to me. And he said, "I would like to hear you let go and be in the moment, be in the music. I would like to hear." What comes out of you? If it's not real, if it doesn't move me, I'm well. I'm afraid I'll have to leave. <laughs> I will have to leave, and you'll never sure. see me again. I was, I was shocked, you know, and and tears rolled in my eyes. In that moment, I thought, "Wow, that that's a little harsh, you know. That's harsh, and that's a little cruel." After. Reconnection, reconnecting after seven years, why? Why would you do this to me? Uh-huh. I I really couldn't tell whether he was joking or not, because he looked dead serious. He was so serious. So for some reasons, in that moment, my intuition just kicked in, you know, and I told myself that yeah. this was probably the best thing that could happen to me right now. Ah, so you used it. I used it. I I composed myself. I got up. I turned on the keyboard, grabbed the microphone, set up a session on Cubase and hit record. I told him, "Okay, yeah, let's go. Let's do it." The jam went on for 22 minutes, Chris. Cool. I improvised like never before. The exchange that happened with him was revelatory. It was chance, words, and all came and all came out in in Creole. <laughs> in the Mauritian language, Creole. When, when it was over, he looked at me for a few seconds and said with a huge smile on his face, very cheeky smile on his face, but there you go, you've got it. You know exactly what to do. You cannot imagine the relief that I felt in that moment. It was massive, you know, absolutely massive. We hugged, I cried, a big cry, and afterwards... We couldn't stop laughing about it. Thing is, the pressure and the thought of having to prove that I had something to say and something beautiful to say to my hero, you know, it triggered something I never experienced before because his opinion mattered so much to me and I knew that he was never going to lie to me, whether it was a good, you know, if it was something bad, if it was something ugly, he was going to tell me. If it was something that he sensed was not quite there, not quite right, you know, whether it was in the singing or the delivery or in the, the energy that I was projecting, he was going to tell me about it. So right there and then, you know, Amazing. I had discovered how really to let go, really, really to forget about myself and and serve the music, serve what he was playing, because it was completely improvised. So since that evening, I was inspired. Suddenly, I knew what to write. 
and I knew in what language to write it in. And suddenly, the, the next day, the next day, I, I took a day off. I just remained still the whole day just to absorb what, what had happened and, and have a vision of everything, have a vision, write the music. Because when I write music, I don't necessarily write music. I don't take pen and paper and just start writing music. I write it in my mind first. I, 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 I have to hear everything first. I took the day yeah. to create that vision, I suppose, of the songs, but of, of the thing that glues these songs together that, that, that create a story. So songs are like stories, but the whole thing, the whole project would, would be a story by itself. And that's how I started to, to write. And now that's led, that's led to uh, an album of distinct songs, or is it a, a sort of a, a flowing piece? What, what's the sort of format? What, 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 what's it, how's, it, how's it developed? Mm, it's an album of songs. It's a collection of songs, all starting again, over again from my roots. Because now also with detachment, when you leave your home country, and you come somewhere that's so totally different. Language is of different. Course. The weather is different. The colors are different. The temperature is different. Yeah. Your family is not with you anymore. Your comfort zone is gone. There's no comfort anymore. You're on mm -hmm. your own. Mm -hmm. Looking back, going back to the memories, the childhood memories, and now and trying to understand my ancestry, times of the slave, where the, the music actually came from. I started diving into these roots more and more, deeper and deeper. My mission with this project is to cross-pollinate the Sega, the traditional music of Mauritius. And of course, they are all in my mother tongue, the Mauritian Creole. They are imbued in the colors of Africa, and India, where my ancestry comes from. As I, you know, grew up into discovering jazz and other various genres of music, there is this influence of jazz and electronic sound mm -hmm. in that. So this is the cross-pollination. So some of these songs are danceable. They are mainly uh, with African-influenced grooves, but they are woven with beautiful, rich harmonies and vocals and of course I have a wonderful team of talented musicians artists on this project the pioneer of the Sega percussionist vocalist Lelou Menoir the guitarist composer Antonio Forcione the percussionists Bernard Schimpelsberger and Kersley Sham the bassists Gino Chantoiseau Lynn Lemart and Vezio Bacci the pianists, composers Thomas Bourin and Mehdi Gerville, the tabla player Aref Dovesh, and music producer, guitarist, songwriter Eric Papoulet. So that's my army of men, you see. The <laughs> album is called? Evasio. Evasio. Is, that, is it ready for release or is it still a lot of work to go through in production? Yes, it's been mastered uh, last week. Wow. And I'm projecting for it to come out next year. Can't wait. So yes. are you ready uh -huh. for a little break? And my new quickfire quiz challenge, Rangis. 
please? Yes. Let's go. I have called this Rangiz's Roasting Rippling Question Speeding Mauritian Hot 7. So I'm going to fire seven questions at you and I, I demand answers. Oh, All right. right. Here we go. Question one. Jazz. Sung at its sultry best in French, English or Creole? English. Billie Holiday or Ella Fitzgerald? Oh, that's hard. Come on now. Ella. Oh, she's locked it in. Uh, question three. You're doing very well. Uh, Moog, Roland, or some other type of synthesizer? Moog. Locked in. Question four. Dancing. A set piece tango or freestyle craziness? Freestyle craziness. <laughs> question five. <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you're listening, women in jazz media woman. Jazz Wise, Jazz FM, or secret option three, the Watford Jazz Junction podcast? <gasps> what? Don't get it wrong. No, I can't. I can't respond to this. <laughs> what she was secretly mouthing, because I can see Rangis on the thing, is what for Jazz Junction podcast? Question six: Fish, chips, or fish curry? Fish curry. Bam. And final question: The capital of Mauritius is, of course, Port Louis. Yes. Now, in your mind, should that be, as is apparently reported, homage to Louis the Fifteenth of France? Yes. Or should it really be an homage to King Louis Armstrong of the Jazz Highlands? (laughs) Louis of France. Now, hold on. I've got to just add up your score here, Rangis. Uh, If I take the the carryover and I separate out answers three, six and I take off a penalty for not getting Watford Jazz Junction immediately. (laughs) Yes, you've got... Well, it's all right. Hold on. You've got 46.5, which is not bad at all. (laughs) Not bad at all. And that, you know... These are trick questions. It puts you at the top, though, of your, of your own leaderboard, which you should be very pleased oh, with. Well done. Fabulous. Well done. Not everyone passes with such flying oh. colours. Now, <laughs> back to something serious. Enough of my silliness. Um, my set question, Rangis, for you is expression. Yes. And here is the question. Mm-hmm. What, for you, is musical expression and why is it important? Hmm... I'd say that musical expression is, for me, first of all, communion, communion with the divine, Mm. almost like a form of meditation. And then that helps to keep me sane. It's important to me because it Mm. makes me feel one, one with myself. It's like if all the voices in my head become one, they morph into one voice and they agree with each other it's hard to define really because it's something that i just do i don't think about what it is really so can i i mean i don't like to do it but to paraphrase that it would almost be musical expression for you is is a trueness of self of the person you've become and the people you're going to be it's a way to exist it's a way to feel it's a way to feel alive that's that's how i I live it. It's setting things in motion. It's moving things. It's transferring energy. It's moving, dancing, setting invisible waves into motion. It's like casting a spell. This has to be one of the one of the most thoughtful answers I think we've ever had. Maggie. Oh, thank you. I love it. Thank you very much. So, right, we're at that stage of the show. We're 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 looming towards the the end. But I've got two two tasks. Um, first question is your top. Three albums. <laughs> what do you go back to again and 
I would say I took up the runes by Jan Garbrek. So that so we've got Jan Garbrek. He's locked in there as one of those one of those slots. At least yes. not ranked. That would be silly. But but number two, who else have you got space for? Slave to the Rhythm by Grace Jones, produced by Trevor Horn. That production is incredible. So we've got our triumvirate to complete. We've got Grace Jones, we've got Jan Garbrek. Is there space for a third one? Passages by Ravi Shankar and Philip Glass. Absolutely wonderful Indian classical music and Philip Glass's genius. I mean, just incredible. <laughs> right. Final task, Grangis. Um, it's time to sort our house band. Now, we're in what I can describe as a confusing time in our fantasy lineup. At the minute, we've got John Bonham on drums, Eberhard Weber on bass, John Hassel on trumpet, the entire Count Basie Orchestra, and they're being supported by two violinists, Martin Hayes and Aidan O'Rourke. <laughs> now, <laughs> your task, if you would like, is to remove one of those musicians or an entire orchestra uh, and bring in a new player. Now, as you can probably work out, people just keep adding people, which is not the task at hand, but I will allow it. Um, who would you like to add to that band and why? Who are they missing? Okay. Um, Chris Potter. Whoa, we've got a tenor And piano. What? What are you doing to me? You've been listening to his uh, lockdown album, right? I have. <laughs> Sunrise Reprise, yes. Yeah. Man. So that's all right. So we can kick Count Basie off the piano stool and say, look, Rangi says, take a break. Chris Potter's here. Yes. You, mate, shift it. Chris Potter, take up the reins. And that's right. if I may be so bold, uh, Mr. Basie, the, if you're taking a break, I might give you a whole orchestra a break because, frankly, you're, you're bankrupting the, the Watford Jazz Junction bank balance. <laughs> so I'm going to re reconstitute the band with a little bit more uh, semblance. So we have a pianist... Brilliant, Chris Potter. We've got John Bonham, Eberhard Weber, and up front we've got one trumpeter, John Hassel, joined by two delightful fiddlers, Martin Hayes and Aidan O'Rourke. Rangis, good job! Yay! <laughs> so finally, we'd just love to know when, when and where we can hear you in the coming months. I've seen you do all sorts of collaborations, um, and as I referenced earlier, you've got a Women in Jazz media session coming up as part of the year. That's right, the yes. Jazz Festival. Um, what, what's happening? What, what, what's your autumn looking like? So we got the scientists playing at the Spice of Life on the 16th of September and then at the London Jazz Festival, the Women in Jazz show at the Toulouse-Lautrec on the 21st of November. I'll be singing some of the songs from Evasio. Check it out. Very nice. And... If we want to check out more about you, do you have a website? Yes, that's www.ruhangiz.com or you can find me on Instagram. Cool. So thank you so much. Um, if you like what you've listened to, don't forget to subscribe so as not to miss any of those wonderful episodes that I talk of. Um, and if you want to know more about the, the Jazz Junction, do check out our website. Um, you can email me or the Jazz Junction uh, at any time at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com. But of course, I need to say nice things. <laughs> Next up, we've got the very talented pianist Chris Ingham, uh, who's actually going to be talking to us about the upcoming gig with, with Dudley Moore, as well as all sorts of other musical ventures. 
So until next time, it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, Rangi. Goodbye, Chris. Thank you for having me. Goodbye, everybody. And stay safe, everyone. And always remember, connect with something new. Bye. Bye.